Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 207, the Primos Seminar from the 2018 NWTF Convention. And I am your host, and the guy who is on location again this week. I am at the beach once again, and this will be the last beach trip of the year. And by the time most of you listen to this episode, I will actually be back home working on some of my fall chores that I have to do before deer season starts sometime in November. So today... We are 149 days, 12 hours, 15 minutes, and 16 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I told you guys I've got the audio from the Primo seminar, well, one of the Primo seminars from this year's NWTF convention in Nashville. And I'm going to jump into it since I am on location this week. You're not going to hear from me a whole lot this episode. And I'm sure you're probably not too terribly upset about that. But these seminars are recorded in conference rooms, large conference rooms, most of them, that seat anywhere from two to 300 people. So there's a lot of reverb or echo in these rooms. Cameron and I try to eliminate a lot of that by sitting as close to the speaker as we can. Sometimes we can do that, sometimes we can't. The reason I'm bringing this up in this particular episode is that I know a lot of you guys listen to these episodes using your earbuds. So I've gone through and I've tried to even out the audio so that the turkey calling that you hear does not blow your eardrums out. And I've tried to amplify some of the speakers of the seminar so that you can hear them better. So this is an episode that you may not want to have your earbuds shoved all the way in your ears and the volume cranked all the way up on your phone or computer listening to it. Because some of the turkey calling in this one that you're going to hear is pretty darn loud. The other thing is... 
you're going to hear a little bit of shuffling sound. And when you hear that shuffling sound, the audio is going to be a little bit muted. But we record these using a small lapel mic. And if we brush up against that mic or we move while we're sitting down in the seminar, you get to hear that brushing sound of the fabric up against the microphone. It lasts only a few seconds here and there throughout the seminar. So it should not have much of an effect at all on what you're going to be able to take away from this seminar. Hey, I picked up two or three things during this seminar that I never knew. And so I think that you guys will pick up something as well that might help you out a little bit. Listen in. I'm going to shut up now, and I'll see you guys on the other side. If you were to cut this strike off right here, it almost sounds like a mouse squeaking. And that's the process. It's working its way to losing its, its top portion. So the fight that we started designing the one-piece striker, it's, if you think about it, it sounds like they use to break up lots of like sonic tanks and the sonic machines to clean stuff. But you're running so high frequency on these glass and friction, it's just deteriorating and glued and vibrating bloopers. So that's solved that problem. A lot of our structures here are going to be a real fine point of our two feet project. Those are laminated wood. You see different layers in them. You can see it clear in this one. But we found that the laminated woods in it just give us a lot more rigidity. You can't break it. It's a lot more durable. And then you also get the note travels better to it. And it connects better to the top. And the walls that we use in the glue that laminate together, what the light end calls, you have to not set the tips as much easier. So a slate does not have to be round. Brad, you want to demonstrate? This is called the drag strip, and it is a rectangular strip. Show it, hold up, show it in there. Rather than being a round surface, uh, it has a resonating body under it. It's just a it's just a different. You get different notes, different sounds out of it. And before we get too much into notes and sounds, explain to them about your surface and your pot, taking that out of your. So. Your striker has to be solid. Solid bond, whether it's a two-piece or a one-piece, it's got to be solid. With this slate surface or frictionite surface, which is a ceramic surface, this is glass. This is an older call that we made <coughs> mount on the side of your leg. And I love it because I'm right-handed with my left shoulder and turkey put this on the leg. And if I want to finish the hunt with a slate, I can keep my left hand on my forearm and bring up my striker to my leg and just barely purr or pluck on that collar on my side. It's called a freak because it's a different shape like collar. But what Brad's talking about is if this bond, this glue bond, gluing the surface of the slate onto the collar, comes loose anywhere on that surface, it will begin to rattle and will be flat. So the way to check that is you take a solid striker that you know is solid. So I don't ever use a two-piece striker to do this. And I hold it up and I tap it. And I can tell by the sound that there's no rattle. So this is a good bond. If you don't have that bond, the friction that you're making to create the sound is going to be absorbed by the call, by the surface. 
Also, Anthony, I'm going to talk a little bit, if you would cover about your hands touching the column, how to keep your surface clean. Yeah, especially on the slate. Uh, if you ever notice you got an early morning, the beauty setting the box in, it's a high humidity, all of a sudden it turns real black, the door will. It's no different than absorbing from your skin. The same thing oils come from your skin. One of the worst things on a slate call is, is bug spray. It has a deep in it. And deep does two things. We talked about it yesterday in a seminar we did. It'll eat a box call up on the side of the box call. Your gun stock, the rubber, the, if you have camo dip guns, it'll eat the synthetic covering off of it. But it is brutal on slate call. A lot of people I've seen them sit there and spray and spray it and they'll spray the surface there. Well, that oil and slate just absorbs in it. So if you and then you get in the tip of the striker. When you get in the tip of the striker, you're double messed up. It's almost impossible to get it you get it deep enough in a slate to ever sand it out enough. You can get it to work, but what'll happen is when you sand it, you build up a powder on top and that powder is making the call. As soon as you break through the powder, it slips and you're just about running a call of duty. Brad is known for two shots. He loves to miss Turkey on the first shot. Wild enough. But so because he knows this, he likes to load different bullets in his gun. So the first one may be number six. And the next one may be a number four. And the third one may be a slow. <laughs> so the bug spray, if y'all ever notice, if you use different types of bullets, different types of shells, it'll take the writing off of the shell. And then you can't tell what you got anymore. So he's going to use the same bullet. <laughs> call that brass guy. It's a new call we introduced last year. It started on it and brought it out. It's not, it's not a screamer of a column, by no means. It's a soft cut. Brad does a real good job of doing soft column stuff on the slate. And a lot of people are confused. They pick it up and they want it to ring and really scream. They don't do that. It's, it's designed to work a bird real soft and easy. A lot like your old jet slates and stuff. Yeah. Run, run, run. Give us a quick enough for Brad. Now, a couple of things about sound. How many of y'all know people who are absolutely knockout on a mouth call? Bring it in. Okay. The people that you know that can do that, whether it be yourself or somebody else, they have a great ear. If you're a shooter, like me, who shot all my life, and I started out not protecting my hearing like I should have, I have shooter's ears. My left ear is 50. 50% depth. And the reason for that is, when I was shooting, shooting at squirrel, shooting at turkeys, shooting at deer, shooting skeet, nobody told me about protecting my ears. How many World War II vets have y'all ever known who were in artillery and are deaf? It's because the sound, every time you hear ringing in your ears, you have permanently damaged the nerve of your ear. You will never recover it. And the more times you do that with a leaf blower, chainsaw, a gun, a hammer hitting steel, you're losing your hearing. So if anybody, the older guys in here will appreciate your hearing a whole lot more than you young people. Because y'all's hearing the same. Slide down the gun, the shotgun, the rifle, whatever. My left ear is turned toward the muzzle. My right arm is hiding some of it and it's away from the gun barrel. This ear received the left ear on a right-handed shooter receives most of the blast, and it's gonna be the first ear to go. So when we go out to eat, my wife and I, last night at the banquet, 
She's sitting on my right. She talks to me from the left. Duh. I can't hear. So I caution them. Protect your hearing. And if you shoot a lot, make sure that you're wearing really good hearing protection. Because you cannot get it back. Me and Will and I are both pretty equal on, on here, and I do the same thing doing all skeet. We've been shooting for years since I've been here, but you know, young, 23 years old, knew everything, didn't need to protect him. But now, I spend more time, we say, huh? That's yeah. God, and he goes that way, and I'm that way, and we're Shooters here in white or something. I found out God, you know, God blessed me because I can't understand the words my wife says, but I can still hear a turkey gobble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to the science. So those great math calls, they got great ears. They hear things that some of us do not hear. Why are some musicians so good? Why can't they play by ear? Because they got a great ear. Their ear hears it, their brain interprets it, their nerves not damaged. So a slate and a box are friction calls that produce the sound. So if you make the right stroke, whether you hear it or not, you're producing it. And guess what? A turkey can hear that. And that's why some people swear by turkeys and slates. I mean, by slates and by stuff. Because the turkey hears the realism of what's going on. Now, Andy talked about this call. Brad, Brad made a few sounds on the drag strip, the strip that you move strike on. That particular call can still call too loud. I'm going to tell you a quick story. And I think it's on this tape I'm going to share with y'all. No, it's not. It was on one yesterday. We all said So, Brad and I. We're under the box stop in Kansas. In fact, the location of the turkey down in an unbelievable creek bottom. Big, huge, monstrous trees. We got up on that turkey. We're sitting down. First off, we had to get an argument over who was going to shoot. I wasn't going to shoot. He said he wasn't going to shoot. He's like, big old gun. That's our college. He picked his gun. So, I got on that box stop, and I promise you, the people in the back of the room could not have heard me. Yeah. That's how soft it was. You remember that Gibson? Yeah. So. And so, Brad, sitting right here, Brad goes, I think you need to call him loud. <laughs> well, the turkey didn't answer. He's about 200 yards away. So He's a mean turkey. We've been hunting for like three days. We've been already named. He's bad. So, I made the exact same sounds, exact same volume, and at 200 yards, what did you do, Brad? I was just saying, wow! Because that's what he wanted. If you call too loud to turkeys, especially once you locate one calling loud, they can hear you like you wouldn't believe. Calling loud may make you shock gobble, if you will, or react. But then, if you keep calling loud, many of those older turkeys, three, four, five, six-year-old turkeys, they ain't used to that. I think what a hen does. And that's a good example today. Two days before we called him up, we were calling. And we got in about 60 yards. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he was a straight, pretty aggressive, and he was gone and good, he got there and stopped. And then the next day we hunted him, he was gone, but he wouldn't come. So we stood in there that afternoon, and that was, that was when we were not all right. And he just turned and yelled, 
so soft. I didn't think Turkey could hear it like I said. True, true story there. Come on, what's he doing? He's all quiet. What's he doing? He's changing. He's changing. He's changing. He's changing. <laughs> so, how many of y'all know the story of the Gibson box? This, this is a replica of a call that was patented in 1897, and there were very there weren't that many made. And the man, Mr. Gibson, who made this call, he he he, he licensed one store in St. Louis called Simmons Hardware. To sell the call. They don't even get license another hardware store. But he had this call right. As far as everything we as box call makers, everybody in the box call making industry has benefited from what Gibson patented. He's got two sideboards, he's got a curved lid, it makes a double note. So a lady in 1981 walked into my family's restaurant where I was still working trying to build my little call company. And she said, Will, I got something for you. I've been waiting on it for years. She was close to Miami. She handed me a paper bag with an original Gibson that her daddy, who died in 1911, had left her. It was in mint condition. I gave it to the NWTF Museum last night. And Anthony, who runs the wood department, the CNC shop, made 1,641 of these for every banker in the United States to auction to raise money for the wild turkey. But it's a wonderful history. If anybody wants to see this replica up here, you can. This is not one of the 161. This is one of the prototypes that we built that I stole out of the shop. It's not supposed to be in existence, but you're welcome to come see it. But this call will gobble, will call off either side, and it's amazing what Gibson did. But it's all about the double note. Whether it's mouth gobble, Yep, for us, the Y'all listen to this yep. You're going to hear a high, and it's going to slur to a low. High to low. Now, the cadence is very important. So he's doing some purrs and clucks there, but the cadence is very important. You can make it in the wrong cadence, and it's not a turkey. So, the box call, because the curved lid and the shape of the sideboard, High to low. And that's what you're trying to do with any turkey call. So Brad, pick up a slate for us and demonstrate that. Here it goes from it's got the high and then it breaks off into the low. And these different strikers, you get different tones and, and different endings. And... Yeah. Brad, if you would stand right here. And if you grab one stand in the middle, I'm going to go back of the room. The secrets to this are what Brad and nobody said back in here yet. I get people coming up there and they try to, y'all just kind of copy whatever. Come on, one of you come down in the middle so everybody can see you up close. Yeah. So they just take the striker and put it on the surface and stop trying to make the same. You've got to marry your right hand to your left hand or your left hand to your right hand. So. See those fingers? I'm resting them. Everybody has a little bit different style. Brad, you're on the side of the cup? Yeah, right on the side right I there. rest mine on my fingers. Y'all see that? That gives you a lot of coordination with this striker. As well as holding the, the pot, so you don't want to hold it with your hand like that, it just deadens it. Good, I didn't mean that up. So it's like this. Like and you're forming a, another sound chamber underneath the hand. Now, if you tilt the striker at the right angle and drag it to you,
It's going to make the same. When you go back, it's going to make no same. So you never pick the striker up. You don't. You do not. You do not. You don't go and make a and pick it up. It always stays on the surface because when you go back, it doesn't make the sound. So if you don't have the angle right, if it's too straight up and down, it doesn't make the sound. You start tilting it. I'm married to my hand, or he's married to the side of the cup. Where are you, Anthony? Married to the side of the cup. And you stroke it at the right angle, and then kind of like making a figure eight or a J shape. On our cups, this is something Anthony didn't want to have to do, but I begged him. He got a little wooden tab here with a hole in it, and I tie a string and I laminate, I glue emery board, two different surfaces, and a green 3M pad. So I can always clean my slate up, and if I need to touch up the end of my striker because it's too polished, I can touch it up. I don't have to go digging for something else. The less movement in the turkey woods, the better. So, it's the J shape. When you go back, or figure eight. You can do so many different things. You've got to have the angle right, and you got to marry your hands. Y'all got anything else to add to that? See the holes in the bottom of my call? Look where the holes of his are, on the side. What we're using on 401 is I'm laying my fingers and my thumbs in these holes. So when I'm doing yelps or notes, it's real resonant. Now when I move up to the edge, feel the difference. Now, this is a friction officer. This is the surround. And on cuts and purrs, when you purr, but you want a real kind of pop on purrs, real dead on it. So realistically, you're getting a bunch of different hand sounds coming from coming up those holes. So this particular cup is just it's designed to use totally different than what normally cups. All right, let's talk about cutting for a minute. The cutting is potato. It's up and down, there's no rhythm to it. Uh, we've got great video of him just cutting their hearts out. And once again, you put the striker down, and how you hold the striker is important. Now, we didn't go over that because I didn't want to jam everything in one time for you, but I want Brad to hold his striker up and show how he's holding his. I'm holding mine right here on this, this part, this knuckle right here. Against the hard part of the middle finger knuckle. Right there, and then against the knuckle on the inside of my thumb, and then right here on my index finger. Did everybody see that? Okay. And I'm pressing the like, you know, Are you touching your are you touching your index finger back to the striker? When you cut, yes. And yes. yep, no. Yep. Same, oh. way, same way every time. Okay. So I like to put my index finger on my collar when I cut because I can pop it better. Brad is not. Once again, you you with that all up there, there you got them same way. And a lot of what we're doing too when he's explaining what explaining that is you want the weight of your striker on top to roll it. That's the key to why you're holding it where you're holding it. A lot of people see it hold up too high. 
You can't get your striker to work for you. The striker's got to roll forward and pop. Okay, so for cutting, I'm going to put the striker down and I'm going to pop the striker toward me. And I take it back immediately. Everybody getting, see that? Everybody see Anthony and, and Brad up here? And nothing going back there. It's hand coordination, so you want to practice that and get you get to where you're comfortable making those kind of sounds. Now, cackling, cackling is great. Uh, I love to cackle, and it's all about hand coordination. Once again, uh, you're you're trying to take the striker and you go into yell. How many of y'all been watching Will call turkeys for years and years? Because the truth is coming out. He likes to cackle. You heard him get all but there's a time when you don't do that. <laughs> if you got a bunch of dumb two-year-olds, <laughs> that's when you don't do something. It's fun to get a couple of everything you do. Y'all got anything else about Why don't you go over purring? Once again, try hang angle the striker. Holding the striker. Not don't choke it up too much. Don't choke it too low. Step up here and let them. On purring, it'll help you if you're just starting out. If you got to have a purr on the cup, find you a gritty surface. In other words, glass is not sometimes the easiest, and it's not heated up. Frictionite's probably one of the easiest to purr on. I would think. Um, slate does really good if you got it roughed up, but if it's slick, it's going to slip on you. But you're wanting to put just enough pressure to drag it. And there's there's purrs. You know, you got the fighting purr, or you just got just a, a just a pump of purr that you're just going to sit there a lot. Of, a lot of times I, I, I can't make myself stop calling, so that's what I'll do sometimes. You know, 3,000 calls me, but that's part of it. But I'll sit there a lot of times and just and do just light little purrs like that, and you just build a custom to do those light purrs. You do the light purrs? Huh? Do you do the light purrs? <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, now, that's called aggravated purring, and that's two gobblers that are getting ready to fight. They're fighting and going around each other, and if you got a wing, I carry a wing with me, and I'll do that. Brad will do it, and I'll take up my wing and pop, 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 like a turkey's hitting their wings on each other. And sometimes that's what brings me. You know, as we talk about all these calls, the most important to me, we, I mean, think about these guys here calling at this place. They are the best of the best, and I love listening to them because they're great to listen to. They're great in the woods, but you don't have to be a great caller to call up turkeys every day. It's all about the technique, the sounds, and the cadence is a big thing to me, how you sound. What's, what's the name of this call that he has? Yeah. Insanity. Insanity? Insanity. Insanity. Well, that, I didn't know. This is a jackpot. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that call there has a great sound to it. Yes, sir. Unbelievable. You also got a pretty, pretty good call. Right. right. It's so unbelievable how good it is. They all like you know, it took him one thing when we were talking about he hit on, he just, I wish he fished up a little more. I'm the worst, I ain't gonna lie. I, I love to call, I call way too much sometimes. I have to make myself quit. But calling too loud is really probably the worst thing I see people do on a slate call. It's just, it'd be no different if I come in this room and started yelling at y'all, nobody'd be comfortable, everybody wanna get up and run. Well, you know, South Mississippi, you don't call loud, you, you'll never kill a bird. Um, I see Scott McDonald in the back, back there, he can verify that 100%. You know, we have one of the toughest place to call, so you learn tricks of the trade to not spook a bird. And part of what you know, Brad and we're talking about just trying to be really soft and easy. Ease into it and find out what he likes before you go screaming at him and just see, like we always talk about calling so quiet. 
amazing how far they can hear zoning. They can call, start out with a really soft, soft purr before you get aggravated purrs and those types of things. This, this drag strip is extremely forgiving. Um, and it's soft, so it's not as hard to use as a round surface friction column. Most of y'all may not be able to hear that. Turkey can hear that. Turn on the wind, 200 yards. And that, it's a closer call for me. I use it a lot. You can close up the forks on the end and kill some of the volume out of it. It's got, it almost has a little bit of a dead sound a lot of times. People think it's a dead sound. A lot, I see people at shows, they'll pick a call up like this. It's crowded. There's a lot of noise in a show. They'll call it and they'll set it back down. And the reason why it don't ring, you just don't blow their eardrums out. But I've just learned as I've gotten older, and I don't want to any smarter, but I've just learned that calling quiet, soft to birds, working your way up tends to work better. Right. So box call is the same deal. It's a friction call. It's two surfaces coming together. The box call is a little easier to use than a slate because you're not having to learn the right angle. That's been built into the lid and to the sideboard. This is called tall timber gateway. Um, a gentleman that I became friends with in the 1970s named Charles Whittington, who has gone to his reward, was a Mississippi cotton gin owner up in Greenwood, Mississippi. And of all times, planting the spring for the farmers. But he loved turkey hunting. Back then, there was no interstate highway system. It was all state highways and old cars. And he would go to the ends of the earth kill a turkey to hunt a turkey. He hunted with ML Ditch. Uh, he hunted Longleaf Plantation. He hunted Lake Despair, uh, Longleaf in Mississippi, South Mississippi. He hunted Lake Despair in, in uh, uh, Louisiana. He hunted in Pineapple, famous, famous southern Alabama area for turkeys. Matter of fact, the hotel they stayed in, you never saw anybody. You walked in, you had, the room was available. You got the room when you left to put the money on the bed. Somebody took care of the room every day, and that, that's the way it was. And uh, what a wonderful old uh, hotel that was. It's in the book, Tall Timber Gabriels. A Gabriel is an angel, and a turkey is an angel singing on high in the morning. So he called all his turkey Gabriel. So I named this call Tall Timber Gabriel, and it's my personal call. Anthony worked with Anthony and just figured out different things that I like, the thickness of the lid, these thumb slots, that allow you to get the call to provide the right sound by tapping it rather than trying to pick the lid up. Just like a pot call, a box call is two surfaces dragging together, high to low. Just like we went over at the very beginning. So whether you choose a pot call, a slate call, whether you choose glass or aluminum or, or slate or frictionite, or whether you choose to use a box call, just remember, it's those two sounds, the high and the low, slurring together. Now these thumb slots, everybody see those? That allows you to put your thumb against the lid and on top of the lid. The test is to hold your hand on top of it, uh, uh, turn it all over. And if it doesn't fall, you've got it. There's no pressure there. And I tap right across from it. Watch down here, and you'll see that my thumb is actually a screen. The pad of my thumb is a spring. It returns the paddle to the perfect spot. And if I want to change the sound, I push it out further. The 
which is a very realistic, that has the right notes in it for a fly down cat. Cut him, you simply. And that, that's how you locate the turkey a lot of times. The back thumb, Anthony, I want you to use it, you explain it to me a little bit, what, what that does, the back slot. And the, it changes the whole sound of the call. Remember, tap, if you get one of these calls, across from your thumb, not lower, right across from your thumb. One of the things we do on our box calls that's different than a lot of calls you see, they're really, really sturdy on the side. So don't be worried about the damage. Now. Daylight side of it, it's still going to make a good job. So. You turn that side down, turn the next side down. Use it. And you slow it down a bit. Do softer cuts like rules do. Now, it made me mad. One day, Brad and I went together. We pulled out this vehicle down the edge of this ridge, beginning of a ridge, right next to the field. We walked down the ridge. You know, I'm good, you know, I'm real good. I'm great with my mouth, dog. I got my mouth. No. No, Brad ain't calling me. Brad grabs my dog. Yep, dog. That was enough. I yelled again. Silent. The box call, I'm telling you, it's got a flavor to it. And, and it's different. Every day, every month, same person in a different day. That's why we have so many different sounds. You heard it all talk about pitches the whole day. I mean, the different pitches are the key of finding the turkey a lot of days. I want to make it come to the last one to go. I always laugh at a real turkey hunter because their best looks like this at the beginning of the season. That's because you got everything you can possibly take. So, both these guys are fantastic at running slate calls. It's so much fun to hunt with people that do different things than you, and you learn from them, and I just had a blast hunting with both of them. But we're going to show you a little video. Maybe we can dim the lights, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> Y'all enjoy these hunts and listen to the sound. Cut into the woods to go to him. And a deer stepped on a 
about 50 yards from it. So we just froze. So I went, okay. Maybe two minutes. And I said, okay, I'm just going to ease forward. Maybe the deer will just walk off and go, hopefully go that way. So I eased up, and that deer went nuts. Started blowing, took off, ran right under the turkey, and turkey shut up. So I turned back around to the guy who brought the camera, Casey, and to the guy whose property it was, who's with us, down in Ronnie. Come on. So we moved in there, found a place that was barely doable. This was late, a lot of foliage, a lot of leaves, and we sat down. And we sat there for an hour and a half. Never said a word. You're waiting for that turkey to get okay with everything. And if he does get okay, there's a good chance he's going to fly down and gobble or gobble on the roost. So that's what's happened. He's finally flown down and gobbled. And then I just lightly hit him with that slate. It's a sound I felt like he wanted to hear. And then I got quiet. And that's what's going on right now. Play. There he is. You see? And finally, we had one turkey 
got interested and we can start off so never could make anything happen but we started getting more aggressive and finally it started paying attention to us and and saw the situation with the hands and a dogger over here and then he turned the U.S. He, he got the decoys. Yeah, he got the decoys. And we didn't start, we maybe just started off a little more aggressive, but we didn't. We just took it easy. Still worked out for him. But this is one hundred no doubt with the decoys played a huge role. Hey. 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 Pressure. 
and he was yelping, but he was, he was that, just a hen sound that's real, real hard to make with anything else. So the slave, we want to open it up to questions. Uh, if one clear, uh, if we want to come up here, once we dismiss everybody, we, we had to talk to you a few minutes. I think we got a seminar two, so we got to get back out of here real quick in this room. Got seminar two. But any questions from anybody? Yes, sir. He said uh, one of the strikers would do a key better. Can you do actually key run? What the striker was? Do a key, key, a key, key call? Key? Yeah. Was it well, the striker? Well, we made the striker call a key key. And uh, what it boils down to is the tip of the striker being smaller makes higher pitch. So you're, you're less surface contact, which makes it bring that high key key run that you would run. So where the, the slate is attached to the edge, it's, it's gotten less vibration. It's going to be a higher pitch. So you find your sweet spot where you like to call. But a key key, you're moving the striker without letting it change. If you change it, you get it to a double note. So you're sliding it. That's the key key. And they really sound good on a slate. I'm kind of okay with it, but there's some people that just do it a lot and you're really, really good. But you can key key and go into a yell just by simply just by coming back closer to the center. It's like a geeky run. Any other questions? How do you condition your striker? Sir? How do you condition your striker? We just keep them clean. Don't touch them in your hand. Don't let the... You know, the question is, how do you condition your... How do you take care of your striker? So we don't let the get on it. No oil. We don't touch it. To our hands. Sand it. Sand it every once if you do use a sandpaper on it, mainly stay 220 grit, 320 grit, avoid the 400s, gets really slick. Brillo pad works great if you're scared to go move it. But pay attention before you start sanding, look at your arch. So be sure you maintain that arch the whole time you're doing it. Best thing, Brillo pad, is to take it run back forth. You make a slick stick, you can stick it in and turn it. The slick stick, uh, Jimmy Primos uh, came up with, and it's a little plastic got a stone on one side, a diamond pad on another side, a Brillo pad on one side, and chalk inside. They are awesome. You put them in your bed. About that big, you've got all the tools you need to take care of your slate. This is called a cutting striker, and it's got a bell-shaped tip, and it's more forgiving. I don't like it as much for most of my column. I use a Kiki striker almost exclusively, but there are times when I do like this striker. It's very very easy to call. If you were going to start out purring, that would be a good one to yeah. use purring because you got a more forgiving person. You kind of learn all the notes like you're One more thing. We make some plastic cups that come with some of our calls and they go like this. This particular call does not come on the jackpot because it's a slightly smaller. The best sound came out of a slightly smaller diameter. So we took this and we made it for some other calls and I keep it against there. So if you put it in your vest, you don't want your cloth of your best rubbing on it. You don't want to reach your hand in your hands on it. So I've seen different, you take a milk carton and cut you a little circle, put it on there, and then put a rubber band around it. That's a great way to take care of it. And put it, and then nothing changes the surface from one time you use it to the next. Any other questions? Does it matter on the spot call area? Oh yeah. Is it, the question is, does it matter on the pot call? Brad, you want to do it? Does it matter on the pot call where you call? Center or edge? Yes, it does. 
And you just got each one of you a little different. And like I'm going to do, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it from the top side and see a little higher. Come down a little bit. Get in the middle. Totally different sound. Totally different sound. I kind of I like to, to play by calls kind of about halfway between the lip and the center, kind of right in this area right here. Everybody can see that. This cuff, the one we showed earlier, the insanity, we've done it a little bit different on the inside design in the circle portion where we cut out. In a lot of calls, you have to run on the outer edge to roll it to the right. This one will actually roll the notes over in the middle all the way. So if you, you hold your hand a little bit weird when you cut it back in or something like that, it's probably a lot more forgiving call for making a guilt. You, you can roll I mean, I don't, I don't usually call in that location, so it's a little awkward to get me used to it. But you can roll the notes over in the center just as much as. So you're about the same way I am, about halfway between the calls. That's common on most of your calls, like Brad was showing you between here and here. We just try to get more forgiveness out of this call because we want people to be able to use the finger slots and, and tone it down. Yes, sir. Could you run that plate uh, curve in real quick on the slate call? Everybody hear the question? It's called about with about the fighting, purring and jumping on the slate every one breath. It's really just you know, it's very light pressure for a purr. Fight purr more pressure. Come back here and show you. Purr is just real light pressure, and then the fight purr more pressure. Or you run from the next bird. Really just kind of straight down. You know, straight down the bird. Straight in. Get back up. Where you're yelping, you got to get it to roll over. So I like to do it almost an oval shape. And I like to give them that little squeak at the end. You ever heard of a hen? Just inflection. I don't know if it's totally necessary, but it's fun to do. When you hear hens in the woods, that's what I always got in my head. I'm trying to sound like. And again, if you hold it like this, it's a little different. See, don't have near the pure sound of it there like this. Because that sound is just forming another sound. Now, I, I, remember what we said about getting old on the call. Can y'all see the different color in Brad's slate? He's touching his hand on the bottom. But he doesn't call over there. He doesn't want to let a striker get over there. And he'll clean that up every once in a while. I like to use the, my fingers so I never do get old. But Brad's better than me, so you might want to try. <laughs> as far as you, your, your surface preparation, you know, glass, aluminum, ceramic, slate, do, do you use the same prep on all of those surfaces? I mean, I keep sandpaper in my bath. Different for different, for, for the glass, it's a different grip. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the question is, what, what do you use on different surfaces, be it glass, ceramic, slate? Each one of those is different. Slate, when you buy the, I mean, a glass, when you buy the call, it's going to be totally slick. Uh, where's that? Let me see. Bro. So this guy went over and bought some third-degree ammunition from Federal. TSS, Tungsten Super Shot. One number nine weighs as much as a number five lid. A three-inch, 
12 gauge federal TSS load at 40 yards will give you 370 BBs in a 10 inch circle. It is bad news. And we've been shooting, we've been hand loading it. Federal finally manufacturing some. But he got this call by getting that. This is a solid glass surface that's never been roughed up. He's touched one spot. So glass is going to take stone to get it all the way ground down real good and then you want to put a little bit finer finish on it you have to be the judge once you use it so rough it up try that then take the diamond side of the slick stick or take some emery paper what level 220 220 on glass you can go a bit heavy you can do a 120 starting but the, like our slick stick has a stone which gives it a real smooth powder then you want to take some of that off maybe as far as aluminum goes aluminum will get inside you use aluminum no, I don't. But okay, I, well, aluminum will build up in your striker. If you look at your striker after you've been using it a while, it's turning silver, and it starts to change everything. So you've got to keep it clean. So you've got that little sandpaper and rough that up. The frictionite, usually the Brillo pad. Just the green Brillo pad. Now, some of you can't find a pre-em pad, go to the grocery store, buy what you're washing dishes with, cut, cut the sponge off, and you got a pre-em pad. Works great. Punch a hole in it, tie a string on it, put it on your gun, you always got it right there. Every calling surface is different. The slate, primarily all I'm going to use on a slate is going to be the green 3M pad. I don't need to use sandpaper. It's already got that great friction grip to it. Does that answer your question? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. You have to be a little careful sometimes when you're going from like glass to a slate. You're saying real patch to one to the other. Sometimes it'll make it slip on your glass surface if it's not rough good enough and the slate will make it slide. And that's where you get that slippage and your note don't want to break right. So that's the only thing I caution. If you're mix, I don't mix mine very often, but once the friction like the slate, you're fine. It's just the glass you've got to be careful with. It. Just remember, box call, slate call, you got two surfaces. On the box call, you got the lid and the sideboard. On the pot call or slate call, you got the striker and the calling surface. Both have to be conditioned and kept up with the jet clean. Oil, wax, chalk. People might get chalk, it's got like chalk on the chalkboard. It's got wax in it. Oh my gosh, it fills up the wood pores. Uh, of your box call, bad news. You want to use a rosin based chalk. You can find it on the internet if you don't want to buy it from a manufacturer. Y'all, we've got a few more minutes. We need to open this up. Everybody can come up and say hey. And then uh, I think uh, they can sit right here at 2 o'clock. So thank y'all for being so All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed that and took away a few things like I did from that seminar. It was pretty interesting. And and one of those things that I thought was interesting that I picked up is checking to see if the calling surface on your pot and peg call is properly glued onto the pot. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I will be checking my pot and peg calls before I take them into the woods this year just to make sure everything is glued down properly and that they are not flat sounding. So that was one of my takeaways from the seminar and I hope that you guys picked up a thing or two as well. So hey that's it. That's all that I've got for you guys this week. Before I cut you loose though I'm going to ask you for a favor and the favor is this. If you would please forward and like the post for this week's episode on Facebook and Twitter I would be very appreciative. With that said 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.